right, good morning, Transit family. Feel free to grab a seat. How's everyone doing today? I said, how's everyone doing today? I said, how's everyone doing today? There, thanks for the volume. Yeah, okay. All right. Yeah. This is what happens when we don't have a sermon bumper video is I have to come up here and yell at you for five minutes for being good Christians and loving one another really well. Uh, if I haven't met you yet, my name's Nick. I'm one of the pastors here at the Transit Church. We're super excited you're with us this morning. We're closing out our six-week-now-long sermon series, He Is Not Silent, Hearing God's Voice. Um, who here has enjoyed this series? It's been amazing, right? It's been phenomenal, life-changing, hopefully, for a lot of y'all. Um, this is the last sermon until next week when we dive into... Ephesians. We're going to be diving into the book of Ephesians. Yeah, it's going to be fire. Um, so if you were here last week, uh, well, I start my sermon series off with, I give me some feedback here, just if I think it's a little too loud, but um, with these disclaimers. One, if this is your first time hearing this sermon and it raises some questions for you, we always say, hey, take this sermon series, not in part, but the whole. Go listen to uh, the rest of the uh, sermon series because there's a lot of questions that you might have that have already been answered. And then my second disclaimer is my last book plug. I always love throwing books your way because I love reading, and I'm sure you all love reading as much as I do. And so there's a phenomenal uh, book. There's actually a couple great books, and I'm going to list three uh, your way to end our time. One is The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. That will change your life. It's an extremely important book for you to read. It's there only for 10 bucks on the book table out there. We don't have a bookstore. It's just a table with some books on it. The second book is A Praying Life by Paul Miller. Uh, it's an amazing, phenomenal resource of just what, it, what does it mean to be a child of God in prayer. It's beautiful. It is an amazing book. I think a must-read for all Christians at some point in your Christian journey. A Praying Life by Paul Miller. And last but not least, if you want to like, take a deeper theological dive, from a trusted resource of a doctorate-level theologian from Dallas Theological Seminary. Um, Jack Deere has a phenomenal book called Why I'm Still Surprised by the Power of the Spirit, hearing uh, uh, why God still, how God still speaks and heals uh, today. Something to that effect. This, this is the name of the book. But there's a blue book by Jack Deere out there uh, that has an amazing, uh, I think it's about 250 pages on um, the biblical basis. For everything we've been talking about, and it's a really good resource. So I just want to throw some resources your way before we close our series. They're all out there uh, uh, waiting for you to come by them. So if you were here last week, we looked at discerning God's voice, and today we're going to be talking about desiring God's voice. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Revelation 3. Revelation 3 will be our text today. Um, and as you're turning there, uh, I, uh, we lead and host a community group, Springfield Group. Where are you at? There we are, there's a few of us. If you're not plugged in, come join us. There's not a lot of us out. Um, <laughs> so this winter cycle, we changed the night of week that we're meeting. We meet, uh, used to meet on Thursdays, now we're meeting on Wednesdays. Uh, a person two weeks ago didn't get the memo, and so we had a community group on Wednesday, and then all of a sudden, it's a night where, you know, we're all in kind of our PJs, getting ready for bedtime, just hanging out. The house is a disaster got three kids at home, it's all, you know, just doing that thing, got our, our, our whole evening planned. And then I hear this, I'm like, what? And I don't know about you, but like when somebody knocks now, it's like, nobody move, you know, you don't know who it is, like, what is that? Nobody texted me, nobody called me, who's knocking on the door? I don't know who this is. So I thought I heard it, it was so subtle that I almost ignored it, because I thought it was a salesman, you know how it goes, right? 
And I was like, maybe I'll just ignore it. I have my plans. I don't want those plans to be interrupted, right? That's why you don't answer the door. It's like, hey, I'm comfortable here. I'm cozy here. I got my own plan here. But I'm like, you know what? No, let me go. I hesitated. I hesitated. And I go and I open the door. And lo and behold, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's someone from our community group. I go, hey. And, he's, and the person goes, I'm here for community group. I'm going, whoa, come on in. I guess we're having community group back tonight. And uh, let him know what was, what was happening. But like, no, dude, just come on, hang out with our family and don't mind the mess. Here's a knee hockey stick, come play knee hockey with us. And, you know, and here's a guitar. And it, it was a, what, what, I, what was amazing was I opened that door and I was surprised who was there. But just on a whim, just saying, yeah, come hang out with our family. Jen and I talked about this afterwards. The blessing that came upon our family that night from this individual changed the entire course of the night. Who we let in to kind of change our plans, their presence, just the presence of somebody else in our space richly blessed our family. We had a phenomenal, that was an amazing night to the extent that Jen and I were kind of blown away. And this person earlier said that they were praying specifically for God, that God would give them an opportunity to really bless our family. And unbeknownst to this person, that, like, that was a tremendous blessing. And so today in Revelation 3, we're talking about that famous text the, the, in Revelation 3, uh, the letter to the church at Laodicea, where Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And whoever hears my voice and lets me in, I'll come and fellowship with you. I'll come and feast with you. And the whole sermon series, the whole reason we've been talking about the, uh, God's voice is it's an invitation for us to, to let him in. It's an invitation for all of us to realize that Jesus, um, his presence and, and his plans are, are so much better than anybody else's presence we can invite in to our lives. And often, given our comfort or just our own hardness of heart, that we love Jesus, but we just relegate him to the front steps. And maybe due to theology or whatever, we just say, you can only come this far. And our, and our hope this whole sermon series is all of us not learning and honing a skill, but seeking and chasing after a person who's standing at the door and saying, as much as you want access to me, you can invite me in and I will, I will come in and radically change your life. And so let's read Revelation 3, 15 through 21, and then we'll dive in. I know your works, you are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I've prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich in white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. See Jesus' heart posture towards his church? Look at all the things Jesus says, I want to do for you, I want to give to you. 19, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Let's posture our hearts based upon this text. Let's go quiet. Let's prepare our hearts for the preaching of God's word today. And let's let him in. Let's ask the spirit of the living God to come and search us where we have told Jesus, you can only come this far. And let's, let's be zealous and repent, repent as the Holy Spirit brings to mind some areas where we want to shut out the presence of Jesus. And let's, let's prayerfully open those doors to him this morning. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you that your mercies are new every morning. There's always more grace. There's always more mercy. There's always more that you want to lavish upon your kids. I pray right now, Lord Jesus, for you to wash away thoughts of shame and condemnation today. Maybe people are coming here with guilt and, and shame over things maybe they've done this week, God. And they feel distant from you. They feel like you're disgusted with them. I pray, Jesus, that you would break that off of them and that they would see your heart, that you're standing at the door and you're knocking and you're yelling at the door, let me in. My plans are so much better. My thoughts are so much better. My ways are so much better. Don't harden your heart. Let me in. Don't lock the door. Keep it open. Don't, don't hesitate. Run to that door. And so Holy Spirit, would you now just reveal to us where are those areas in our life where we have shut you out and we've drawn a line and said you will only come this far. And Lord, would you have your way today? Would you have your will as we close out this sermon series? Would, would, would your will be accomplished, God, in our hearts? Would there be true life transformation in all of our walks with you, understanding that you're the living, you're the active, you're the speaking God who's present with us at all times by the Holy Spirit. So come, Lord Jesus, I'm a man in need of help. Would you help me this morning? Would it only be your words, your truth that is spoken? Would I get out of the way of what you want to do? And would you be magnified? Would you increase and would I decrease up here? And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, so three points on my talk, and then we'll send you on your way is this. Three points. Point number one, why we don't desire God's voice. Point number two, why we should desire God's voice. And point number three, how do we desire God's voice? So point number one, why we don't desire God's voice. Four points under this, and they all start with the letter C. If you're a note taker, you are welcome. One is this, comfort. What we see in our text is crystal clear. One of the, the key reasons we just shut out the presence of God in our lives, consciously or subconsciously, is because we are wealthy and comfortable, and we have no need for that God hypothesis. Uh, and this is what we see at the Laodicean church, is that their wealth, their comfort, their riches had, had blinded them to their desperate need for God and his presence, saying, we have food, we have shelter, we have clothing, we have sight, we have everything we need, so we don't actually are in a posture of humility depending upon Jesus. We can live our lives without Jesus just fine. And so therefore, yeah, we're still the church, but Jesus is just outside. We prefer him on the front steps. Because you know, as well as I know, that when you're alone, life is just way easier. Like exhibit A, when you are driving. Ah, yeah, I'm sort of ruffle some feathers between some spouses here today, maybe, okay? So backseat driving, anyone got some backseat drivers, right? Hey, turn here. Hey, don't speed. Hey, so you know what I'm talking about? Just, oh, you're just going to leave me hanging up here. Like I'm the only, okay. <laughs> when you're driving, right, it's just easier. They're just, you get to decide where you're going to turn and when you go. But when you have maybe a wife and then, and then a six-year-old in the back who, who starts driving a power wheel, so she now starts chirping at you. Hey, daddy, don't speed. <laughs> hey, daddy, be nice. Hey, you know, all these things. Anyways, life is just easier when it's just my will, my kingdom, my way. And so for us to be postured, to actually believe that God is present by his spirit and can just break in and start speaking means that we have to continually posture ourselves with the Lord's prayer and saying, do I really believe, God, your will be done no matter what your will is in my life? That's the tension, right? And this is what I shared this quote by Dallas Willard last week, and we're going to run it back because it was so good. 
He says this, Perhaps we do not hear the voice of God because we don't expect to hear it. But perhaps we don't expect it because we know that we fully intend to run our lives on our own. Anyone, that's like our default setting. Anyone, I'm guilty as charged. We just intend to run our lives on our own and never seriously considered anything else. The voice of God would therefore be an unwelcome intrusion into our plans. And by contrast, we expect the great ones in the way of Christ to hear that voice just because we see their lives wholly given up to doing what God wants, right? So maybe this sermon series, the whole point of this, this, this last talk is where do we go from here? Why have we been talking about this for six weeks? And so let's do a heart check and I continually ask the Holy Spirit, why, why do I prefer you on the front steps, Jesus, rather than, than at the table with me? Why do I prefer that? Why is that my natural default settings? And so one, one of the reasons we kind of don't desire God's voice is we're just more comfortable without that hypothesis that he's still speaking today. Secondly is cuts. Yes, I didn't have a better word for this, but it starts with the letter C. And what I mean by that is we've been hurt by other people. We've been wounded by other people who said they heard God say something to them about us. And they spoke some nonsense over us and maybe publicly shamed us, maybe hurt us, maybe exposed stuff. That was, that was not supposed to be exposed in that setting, and we still have scars from that. And we're like, if that's what that is, I want nothing to do with that. We've been wounded. We've been hurt by that. I'm sure some of you have some stories like that. Solomon, uh, he was up here. Solomon Jaguar shared an amazing testimony last week that we heard in our community group, and I asked him to share it. And Solomon, in our community group, he opened up by sharing that testimony. The first thing he said was, hey, I was born and raised in Uganda. In regards to uh, people saying they're hearing God speak in prophecy, it was... It was bad. I wanted nothing to do with it. I despised it because of all the nonsense that was being said by quote-unquote Christians, quote-unquote prophets who were just prophesying health and wealth, prosperity, gospel nonsense. And then, so he says that. He says, I, like, I've seen people get burned by that. And then he says this, and he shared this story last week uh, when he was a young man getting out of Uganda to go to the States for education. And um, there was a lady he had never met a day in his life. She was from the UK, I believe, and she was a follower of Jesus. She was in Uganda. She had a dream that she believed was from the Lord. And in that dream, she felt the Lord said, cut your trip short, and tomorrow, go to the airport at this time. She does that, believing it was God speaking. Meanwhile, Solomon's in the airport. He's in a, I won't go into all the details, but he's in a situation of need. So he's praying as a new believer. He's praying, God, would you send somebody to help me? And would it be a female? That's what he said. And lo and behold, she's in line behind him. They link up, and um, they begin a relationship in regards to, like, financially partnering with Solomon to fully pay for his tuition in the States. And then through that relationship, an orphanage now exists in Uganda where 900 students are being, uh, oh, like, discipled and, and, and blessed with education and all this stuff, all because some lady had a dream that she believed was from the Lord. And Solomon's life was radically changed, and then in addition to that, there are 900 Ugandan, Ugandan orphans whose lives are radically changed. Why? Because of one encounter, one, one encounter of God speaking, okay? So what I'm getting at is this, is yes, maybe we have some cuts. Yes, maybe we've been burned. But also, we see biblically that this is a good thing, right? Like, well, we know, let's talk about fire. God created fire. Fire was God's idea. And when we talk about God speaking or, or we use the, the word prophecy, which we see in the scriptures, that's God, the Holy Spirit, giving us that framework. And so God created fire. And you know as well as I do, fire, when it's taken out of its, 
uh, proper context will burn you. And so maybe some of us have even scars from where fire has burned us. But does that mean we cancel fire? No. I, I used fire to make my scrambled eggs this morning. It was delightful. All right? I'm a huge fan of fire in its proper context. And so what we see in scriptures, in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, the command, is, it's the, command the response to disuse or abuse of the gift is not disuse. Sorry, the, the, the response to misusing a gift is not disuse. It's proper use. It's proper use. Fire can build up and strengthen and warm and edify and bring survival and sustenance in life. And that's in its proper context. And so that's what we want to set out to do as the people of God is in the proper context that the scriptures tell us this is how we pursue hearing God's voice. The third thing, the third thing is competency. One of the reasons we don't desire God's voice is competency. We just feel like this whole hearing the voice of God thing is for the spiritual elite, for the SEAL Team 6 of Christianity, that I've never heard or encountered God in these ways that people have come on stage in sermon series and shared what they've said. I'm disqualified. In this whole sermon series, we're saying, if you have a pulse and you're covered by the blood of Jesus and you're filled with his spirit, which every believer is, you're qualified. And what if, after this sermon series, what if tonight you have a dream that's completely symbolic from the Lord and it radically changes somebody else's life? That could be your reality. What if, what if that happens? It's not just for so-and-so this, so-and-so that. No, my sheep know my voice. And then the second thing is you're qualified. But the second thing is that the gift, often it's not about you. We've talked about how God speaks to friends. He speaks to his sheep, all that stuff. It's about abiding in him, yes. But too, when we talk about the spiritual gifts, your gift has nothing to do about, about you. Your spiritual gift is about everyone on the other end of your gift. It's about God being glorified and others being built up. So any, do I have any rock climbers in here? Any rock climbers? Oh, Okay, one, two, three, four, someone kind of like a half thing. Yeah, I'm not a rock climber, okay, in case you're wondering. But every January, the elders, we uh, do something fun. At the end of the year, it's a huge push to finalize everything for the next coming year. And then January, everything's kind of like, you know, whatever. We, there's not much to do because it's all been finished in December. And so we always do something fun. Last year, we went axe throwing. And this year, we went to Sport Rock with Nick Bumgarner, and we went to uh, do some rock climbing. And uh, confession, I'm terrible at rock climbing. I am not competent in that skill, and I have no desire to, to gain any more competency in that, right? Like, I am not good in this, and I will never be good in this, so therefore, I never want to show up here again. Sorry, Nick, but if you want to take me, I'll go. Okay, you know, Trey, whatever. Why? Why is that? Because it's embarrassing. That's why. That's the only reason. It was fun. If it was, like, empty and we could just reserve all the sport rock and nobody else was there, you'd sign me up, right? But you start, like, you're starting. We didn't do any, like, rope and stuff. It was, like, the free solo stuff, you know? And you start, and you have to, like, do one of these things, and, like, this is how you start, you know? And, and that's how you officially start. And what's embarrassing is, like, I start, and then it's like, all right, Nick, now reach for the next one, and then I just fall backwards <laughs> on, the, you know, on the mat. I'm like, this is not fun. So I was like, next month, elders, we're going ice skating, all right? <laughs> grab your stick, grab your gloves, let's go. Um, but what if, you know, that's embarrassing. I'm not competent in that. I want to avoid that because I'm, I'm, I'm fearing rejection and embarrassment. So I avoid. Those areas we're not competent in, yeah, we avoid that, right? And what if, what if the, like the elders were there and, and, and we had a heart for like some mountaineering rescuing kind of stuff, right? And people getting stuck on mountains and there was a need for that. And um, they needed people who were skilled in rock climbing. And what if our approach was out of love for people who might, uh, who, whose lives could be radically and powerfully changed based upon us pursuing this, I don't care what I look like. 
Okay, hey, teach me what it looks like. I don't care about the fancy gear. I just want others to be saved. I want others to be built up. I want others to be rescued. And so, yeah, I'll look like a fool. Yeah, I'll try this on. Yeah, if God, if you say this is a good idea, let me pursue it. Let me press into this, right? It's a whole, totally different shift of focus. What if it has nothing to do about us and everything to do about God being glorified and everyone on the other side of us saying, yes, God, we want to earnestly desire what you've said is good. So competency and fourthly concerns, and then we'll move on to my other points, is if we're honest, a huge hesitation that um, this series is probably uh, welled up for some of us is this. If we accept this idea that God is still speaking today to his people and through his people, where is this thing headed? Where are we going with this? And we suffer from if this, then that thinking. Like, Like if you believe in the continuation of the gifts of the Spirit, that makes you a charismatic, and charismatics do this, and they are crazy, right? And so Nick's going to be up here swinging a blazer, trying to get everyone to fall over. You know, we're going to have people come in prophesying elections. You know, like, if this, then that. Okay, so that's, that's, not, that's not necessarily a fair assessment. And let me illustrate it for you. So we have our very own Saju Matthew uh, and the Matthew family. They're diehard Eagles fans. Diehard Eagles fans, okay? Now, if you don't know football... <laughs> Eagles fans have the worst reputation in football. When the Eagles won the Super Bowl, I believe in 2018, the way Philadelphians celebrated, I can't even share from the pulpit what happened. (laughs) I'll share you the stuff I can share. They, like, set dumpsters on fire, tipped over police cars, climbed telephone poles, all this stuff, right? Now, Saju is a diehard man. I just saw a video today by one of his sons. He said, hey, show this. I'm like, I'm not going to show it of what Saju did when they won in 2018. <laughs> so it would be an unfair label upon Saju Matthew, our elder, to say, hey, he's an Eagles fan, so when the Eagles win the Super Bowl next week, he already has a couch in his backyard dipped in kerosene that he's going to light on fire <laughs> to celebrate and then find a telephone pole to climb and a police car to tip over. Right? No. Like, he's going to cheer for He's like, I'm, I'm bought in. I'm an Eagles fan, Right? Like, I'm bought in. I'm, he's cheering for the Eagles, like, go Eagles all the way. But he's not setting a city on fire to celebrate. Oh, nor is he endorsing that, nor is he seeking after that. But yes, he's an Eagles fan. And so I just want to let you know that, yeah, we, we believe God, God's alive at the transit. We believe he's still present by his spirit. We believe he's still moving. And we believe that there are um, scriptural boundaries that the Lord has put on us to, to, to give us the proper use of the gifts of the spirit that we can wrap them in love. And if they're wrapped in love and in the local congregation with the oversight of elders who want to protect the flock from spiritual abuse, that this is an amazing thing for the church of God. And all we're doing with this sermon series is we're saying this. This isn't the only thing we're going to pursue, but this is something that the church has shelved, and our church has shelved for a long time. And what the scriptures say, what we believe, apostolic command by the Spirit, is saying, you can't shelve this. This is a necessary tool for the advancement of the kingdom and the building up of the body. So, hey, we're going we're incorpor- to, this is not going to be the only thing we're going to do. There's a variety of things we're going to do. Like, like, hey, Jesus cares about, do we love this community? I hope to see you at the Bren Mawr food packing party, right? Let's go, let's go hit the streets and share our faith. Let's gather in community and have table fellowship. Let us be known at the transit, not for power, not for all Let us be known for our love. Let us be known for what Jesus wants us to be known for. John 13, 35, by this the whole world will know you're my disciples, by how you love one another. Not by cool, like, oh, gifting and blah, blah, blah. No, we want to be known by how we love one another. And all we're saying is to truly love one another the way God commanded the church to love one another is, hey, we've shelved some things. Let's take those off the shelf. Those are really important tools, which I'm about to illustrate here with some testimonies from this past week. 
All right. Let me speed up here. Sorry, guys. Okay. Two. All that. Those are, those are some of the reasons why we don't desire God's voice. Just wanted to address that. Just have a little family talk there. Secondly, why we should desire God's voice. I had a whole page of notes. I was going to get all fired up, all this stuff. I had to take it all out because my talk was too long. But this is what I'm going to say. Why we should desire God's voice. The entire sermon series has been why we should desire God's voice. So go listen to the sermon series. But what, my response will be this. One question of why we should desire God's voice. Why in the world would we not? There it is. Why would you not? Oh, yeah, the, the, theoretically, theologically, I believe God's living and active and present. But, yeah, I, I don't want him to come into my house. I don't want him in my church. You mean the church that he bought with his blood? And we're going to relegate him to, to, the, to not just this front door in the foyer, but all the way to the long hallway foyer? I mean, come on. Why would you not? Because here's what I'm getting at. Here's what I'm getting at. This reality of learning and growing and, and believing and God's voice in your life will radically change your entire walk with him. All of a sudden, a boring, mundane Christian walk teems with life at every scene. Why? Because every moment of every day is an altar, altar of worship. Because wherever you are, there is the spirit of Christ inside of you. So whether you're changing diapers, cutting the lawn, commuting to work, there Jesus is. You have access to his presence. Father, I love you. Lord, I pray over my kids. God, would you lead and guide me today to be a better parent, a better mom, a better father. Lord, I'm going into work today. I'm going to turn off Joe Rogan. I'm going to turn off Jocko, and I'm going to pray on my commute. Lord Jesus, would you help me to truly love my employees, my boss today, to, to glorify you every, watch this, when you start believing in the immediate and direct access of God to you by the Spirit, Jesus is on every scene of your life story. There is no scene where he is absent, where you can't invite his presence in and say, Jesus, would you come into this? I'll talk more about that in a little bit. But I want to share this. Secondly, it changes your personal walk with Jesus when you accept this reality. But secondly, it changes other people's lives. Other people's lives are changed on the other side of us just being postured in humility and maybe hearing God's voice. And so we have a, we have a relatively small church uh, of 100 folks and we've had some crazy stories shared from the stage. And I'm just going to share two stories from this past week. Just this past week of what God had done. So the first one was at altar prayer. And I got permission from everyone to share uh, these stories. This past Sunday, after the service, Caleb Scott was up here with Kristen. And somebody came up for prayer. And six out of seven nights of the week, they're having horrific nightmares. Six out of seven, they're being woken up. Horrific nightmares. Caleb doesn't know anything about the situation. person comes up and says, hey, I'm having nightmares. I want prayer for that. And then all of a sudden, as Caleb's praying, this word comes into his mind, trinkets. So flat crap, uh, flashes across his mind that he believes is the voice of God. And he says, hey, something to the effect of, I just heard trinkets. Is there anything in, in that? Lo and behold, lo and behold, that person has been living for the last few months at somebody else's house, their husband, somebody else's house, and this person that, that, that owns the house that they're living in has traveled internationally. And as they have traveled internationally, they have collected occult, I'll just call it what it is, occult objects from Africa, East Asia, all these things, these, the scariest thing, looking masks you'll see, these ambulance, all these things that are like, hey, like someone who just doesn't know about a spiritual realm and how these things give demonic access and how people actually use these things for supernatural things. 
ward off evil spirits, invoke evil spirits. That's what these things were used for all over the house. And so we call that a hit, like bullseye of the Holy Spirit revealing to Caleb, hey, this is the issue. And I'll illustrate it this way as well. That was last Sunday. And so the uh, prayer team gave some instructions. This is what you should do. Uh, we recommend you do them. They, her and her husband, they did this. And I called them last night to verify at 9.30. <laughs> he's, he's a really good friend of mine, so I, I, I wouldn't do that to you. Um, but six out of seven, guess what six out of seven turned to this week? Oh for seven. Oh for seven. No more nightmares. Why? One word. Holy Spirit trinkets. You can say what you want about that. You can believe that or not, but we went, we went from 6 to 7 to 0 to 7, and my boy Caleb, and let me tell you about Caleb. My man's getting his PhD. That's right, PhD in comp sci with like an emphasis on artificial intelligence. So he's going to be responsible if the world ends through uh, robots <laughs> taking over, all right? But I share, I share that not to uh, beef him up or whatever. I'm just saying he, uh, he's a man of, in, of profound intelligence. He's not naive. He's, he's one of the smart, we have a lot of smart dudes in this room, smart ladies too. He's, he's, he's up there. He's up there, okay? So I just want to share that. Second testimony is this. So we had a rock and prayer and worship night on uh, Friday night. So this is like nine days ago or so. And um, uh, someone, I asked them to type out this testimony so I could share it. And uh, I want you to listen about what happened. So we, uh, our, prayer, our, our fourth Fridays, we have a prayer and worship night where we just, we just want to go and we want to pray. We want to worship. We want to create space to see what the Lord wants to do. And uh, we stayed for two and a half hours. We only plan to stay for one and a half hours. And so if you come, we're going to expect it from six to eight now, not for, so just to, so you guys manage your expectations. But it was amazing. It was awesome. And I didn't know until afterwards that this happened. And I'll just read to you what happened. During the last prayer and worship night, again, this was last Friday, I believe I may have experienced a healing. I, and this is from an engineer in our congregation. I felt significant neck pain and was physically uncomfortable the entire time. I couldn't sit still. This is the, during the, the prayer and worship night. I couldn't sit still and was constantly attempting to adjust my posture and crack my neck, but never received any relief. It got to the point that I was about to get up and go in the hallway because I just couldn't focus and was hurting too much. That's what's happening during prayer and worship night on Friday with this individual. However, right before I was about to leave, I heard Sammy pray aloud that they felt God wanted them to pray over neck pain and bring relief to the individual. I was there. All of a sudden, Sammy said, hey, I feel like God wants to heal someone of neck pain tonight, so let me pray into that. And she starts praying over that. This is what the individual says next. I was honestly shocked to hear the prayer, but even more surprised to feel instant relief for my entire neck. This was something I never experienced before. I'm not only extremely grateful for the Lord to bring this blessing, but also super grateful for the individual to faithfully pray for what the Lord put on their heart. They most definitely took a leap of faith and probably had no clue what God was about to do or the significance it would mean to me. And then he explains this. I'm a natural skeptic, and I had a very conservative church experience. So I had to look at the facts of the situation and the truths I know about God. And some simple facts about this situation are, here we get, we get a scientific engineer breakdown here, all right? You guys ready? One, I've experienced significant and repeated injuries to my shoulder and neck for the past 10 years that have led to multiple surgeries. 
Two, I've since dealt with chronic neck pain and haven't gone a day without discomfort. Not a single day without discomfort. His words, not mine. One, point two, point three. I was in pain when I showed up to prayer and worship night and felt it throughout our time together. You follow the progression? Little scientific hypothesis here, scientific method, okay? I was in pain the entire night. Four, the individual then prayed for healing and relief. Five, I then felt instant relief and no pain. Six, listen, since last Friday, not this Friday, the Friday before that, nine, nine, ten days. Six, it's now been over a week since prayer and worship night, and I felt no pain in my neck the entire time, which has never happened to me over the last ten years. Let's go. Give, give the Lord a hand. Those are the facts. Beautiful. God is so good. And then I love this, uh, I love this recap here. Summary. Simple truths I know about the Lord. One, God loves us immensely. Two, God works in mysterious and wonderful ways. Three, God is sovereign and almightily powerful. Far be it from me to put limitations on what God can do and how he moves and works through his creation. I understand I will always have a limited understanding of the world, but I know God is in complete control, and I believe the Holy Spirit was present and working that night. This is our church, folks, of just 100 of us. Within a week, no more nightmares, no more neck pain. Ten years, hasn't gone a day without neck pain, has been pain-free since that time. Give, give the Lord a hand. That's amazing. That's incredible. That's, that's just absolutely amazing. So if we, were, if we were to ask the question, why? Why do, we want, why do we want to desire God's voice? The answer is, why would we not? Because we see human suffering, the kingdom breaks in, and where the kingdom is, there's restoration. Where the kingdom is, there's healing. Where Jesus the king is, there's the presence of his kingdom. And when we allow and create space for Jesus to come and move, demons flee, people are healed, lives are restored, the lost are found. So that's why we want to be out. It's the issue of the kingdom. And so I'll wrap up with this, some, just some takeaways of where do we go from here? How do we desire the voice of God in our lives? How do we go about this? I had a dream two weeks ago, good start, um, where I was uh, leading a small group. I do some great preaching in my dreams. Uh, sometimes it makes it to the pulpit, sometimes it doesn't. But this one I felt like, hey, why not? We're talking about hearing the voice of God. I had a dream where I was leading a small group at the transit community group, and I, I asked three questions. And these were the three questions I asked, and this will intro point number three. I said this, does God still speak today? I said, yes. Secondly, I said, can we make God speak? I said, no. Can't make God speak. So then the third thing I said in the dream was, does that mean we do nothing? Or is there something we can do? Dream ends. It's a great, it's a great deduction there. I think I should share that with you. And so what we're talking about is this, is I want to press against a misapplication of God's sovereignty. God's sovereign, he can speak to me whenever he wants. I can't make him speak. I'm not going to do anything. If he wants to interrupt me while I'm watching my eighth series on Netflix, he can do that. Is our response to these past six weeks, we do nothing? Or are there some things we can do to better posture ourselves to hear the voice of God? And we talk about that here with three points, and, I'll, and it'll be under this umbrella. So I, if you would ask me if there was like anything besides pastoral ministry vocationally that I would love to do, I would love to be a professional surfer. 
man, I don't know, those guys get paid for a living just to surf waves. It's the most insane thing ever. Travel and just surf and like, hey, here's a lot of money. Crazy, okay? And so for surfers, they have this caricature that they are like lazy beach bums. But I would argue that they're not. They're just disciplined in maybe the wrong direction, okay? So they're actually, they're actually really disciplined. They love the waves. They love to surf. So these guys will prepare a lot. They'll research weather patterns. They'll research probably like uh, tips and tricks on how to, how to surf. They'll watch videos. They'll read, maybe, maybe they read books. I don't know if there's books on surfing. So that, but they'll prepare, right? And then these guys will wake up at like 3 a.m., with other guys, and they'll drive a far way to get pitted in some waves, and they'll put on a wetsuit, and they'll go into extremely cold water, and then they have to get past where the waves are breaking. So they get in the water, and there's effort, and everything that ocean is saying is communicating to them is you will not get past where these waves are breaking. You will not get in that place where you will be able to catch a wave. But what do they do? They get crashed by a wave. You ever been in the waves before? And then you have to keep going. And then another wave crashes you and you have to keep, keep pedaling. It's hard to get to that place where you finally fight to get to the place where you can catch a wave. And they sit and they wait. All for the chance. They know they can't make a wave come, but all of that work, that preparation, that effort, that striving, that sacrifice, all of that just to get in the place where if a wave comes, they want to be found ready, right? That's what it looks like to earnestly desire something. That's what we're talking about for the rest of this talk. So point number one, moving forward, what changes after this series? Point number one is this, is uh, in order to hear God's voice, we have to shut out other voices. We got to turn down the volume. We got to turn down the noise. I have three kids at home. I'll get home from work, and Jen will ask me, hey, how was your day? And we'll start to talk, and both of us are trying to communicate, but I have my, my little Nick. He's got a hockey stick in his hand. He's just beating the side of the kitchen cabinet, and then I have another girl throwing a tantrum. The other one is playing, you know, whatever, and it's just like, hey, Jen, I'll talk to you at nine o'clock after the kids go down, okay? Meanwhile, I'm going to play some knee hockey, you know, whatever. It's, it's not an issue for lack of communication. It's just an issue that we just can't hear. I can't hear her voice over the noise that's there. And there is not a, a moment in human history where it is harder to hear the voice of God. There is not a noisier moment in the history of mankind because everything has an internet connection. Like, we live in the day and age where your, your fridge can start talking to you, right? That's madness. I don't, you don't need Wi-Fi on your fridge? Come on, somebody. Like, watch, earbuds, you know, whatever, Google Glasses. Like, everything's got a Wi-Fi connection and podcast this, music this, book this, series this, YouTube this. It is, we are inundated and flooded with noise. It is almost impossible to get silence. And so my question for us is this, is moving forward, we need to audit the other voices in our life and ask this question, how many other voices does God have to shout over to get our attention? How many other voices in our life does God have to shout over to fight through to get access to you? Or could we make it just remarkably easy and just maybe, maybe dial down those voices a little bit, the volume or the consistency of those voices? Uh, A.W. Tozer has this great quote, and he was writing, I think, about 50 years ago, 60 years ago, when he said this. Whoever will listen will hear the speaking heaven. That's a great line right there. Whoever will listen will hear the speaking heaven. This is definitely not the hour where men take kindly to an exhortation to listen, for listening is not today a part of popular religion. We are at the opposite end of the pole from there. Religion has accepted the monstrous heresy that noise, size, activity, and bluster make a man dear to God. 
But we may take heart. To a people caught in the tempest of the last great conflict, God says this, be still and know that I am God. And still he says it as if he means to tell us that our strength and safety lie not in the noise, but in silence. The strength of the church in this hour of human history lies not in the noise, it lies in the stillness of us recalibrating and posturing our hearts to abide with our living God. Silence is our strength. Abiding is our strength. That's our move in this great hour, is to go deeper in our love and our knowledge of him. Like Jeff shared with the call to worship today, abiding, the command is come and to abide and you will bear fruit, not go out and strive and strive and strive and, and then you'll bear fruit. It's, hey, get close to me. Get as close to me consistently as possible and see what begins to happen in your life. Begin to see how I transform your mind, transform your heart. And as I transform you by my spirit, by my love, by my grace, by my truth, you then will be an agent of transformation. But it cannot be the other way. You have to abide. That's our strength. Secondly, one, if we want to hear God's voice moving forward, let's shut down the other voices. Let's turn them off so we can posture ourselves to hear the voice of our God, but when we hear, when we hear that knocking on our hearts, we believe it's the Lord summoning us to draw deeper and closer to him, let's run and not walk. Let's run and not walk. What's clear in Revelation 3 in our text today is that Jesus prefers his, his church white hot with zeal for him. Not lukewarm and apathetic, but white hot in zeal. And that's why Jesus says, hey, be zealous and repent. I have so much better than anything this world can offer to you. So the question for us, this sermon series, is, is with what pace will we respond? After these six weeks hearing testimonies and, and God always inviting us in 1 Corinthians 14.1, which you can pull up, to pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy, is uh, a lot of this has to do with our hunger for the Lord. If we're totally satisfied with the things of the world, there's no more room for wanting more for God. But what the Lord is saying, if there is the presupposition behind in the invitation to earnestly desire more from God, as he's saying is there's actually more I have if you want it. If you want to ask, if you want to seek, if you want to knock, there's more I have for you. Earnestly desiring something looks like something. It looks like a surfer preparing and making waves and getting in the waves and doing everything he can to get in that place where the waves come. And Luke 6, 12 says this. In these days he went out to the mountain. Let's talk about Jesus Christ. In these days he went out to the mountain to pray and all night he continued in prayer to God. Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry was so inundated and overwhelmed with people that he could barely, barely, barely make a public appearance without people overwhelming him that the only time he could get with his father was climbing a mountain at night so nobody could see him, right? And this is before cliff bars. This is before Merrill camping shoes. This is before jetpack camper things. You can make your coffee. and your. That's before any of that. He climbs a mountain and spends all night with his father. That's effort. That's, 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 that's thirst. That's, that's hunger. Saying, if I don't get that, I have nothing else to offer. And if Jesus had to climb a mountain to make that happen, I think you and I, I heard this said, and I thought it was hilarious. He says, if Jesus had to climb a mountain to get the Father, we can get out of the recliner, right? We can get off the couch. We can make some preparations. 
And so my three points under this header of let's, let's run, not walk, is this, is let's begin to pray for God to speak more. The more we ask, the more we get. James 4, 2, you have not because you ask not. Uh, ask, it will be given to you. Seek, you will find. Knock, and it will be given to you. Those who earnestly seek after me, uh, they find me. It's all throughout uh, the scriptures. And so let's pray uh, a simple prayer of a child going to a father. God, you told me to earnestly desire spiritual gifts. It's a gift of grace, so I can't earn it, but you give it. Would you, would you give? And then begin to name some of the things that, that you have a passion for. You're burdened by people who maybe are suffering in this way. And so, Lord, would you give me the tools uh, of the spiritual gifts so that I can uh, love them? Like you want them to be loved. So let's begin to pray consistently and specifically for God to speak. Because as we share testimony after testimony, there's so many lives that are being transformed on the other side of people saying they heard from God. Voice of God. Secondly, let's prepare. Um, preparation looks like something. I sent out a resource email to the entire church of phenomenal resources uh, for you guys to dive more deeper into this topic. There were great, then it was all from reputable doctorate level guys who are well-respected in evangelical Christianity, okay? So I sent blogs your way, I sent some books your way, and I sent sermons your way of some awesome people that I respect. And so what that looks like is, hey, hey, let's, let's dive into those resources. Instead of uh, on the, your commute to work, maybe listening to this guy or this guy or, or this secular thing or the news or whatever, hey, dial up one of those Matt Chandler sermons about the gifts of the Spirit. Hey, hear Dr. Stan Storms talk about prophecy and why it's necessary today, right? Let's, let's do our due diligence, due diligence and let's... Let's prepare that way. And lastly, let's practice in our time of fellowship with the Lord and his word. And I did, we did a whole sermon in this series on God's word and the importance of it. It just begin to keep constant, close communion with God. And as you're praying for others, just have an awareness that God very well might want to communicate. You don't need, when you start praying for someone, you don't need just to immediately start speaking. You can go quiet and just create space for the spirit to speak and see what comes to mind. And if, you, if nothing comes to mind, just pray for them. But listen, practice. So pray, prepare, and practice. And lastly, and um, I'll call up the band. Band, you can come on up here. Lastly is this one, is uh, the last point moving forward of what changes after this sermon series is this. Let's open every door to Jesus moving forward. At the end of the day, all roads lead to us just knowing and loving our Savior more and experiencing his fellowship. First Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says this, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Praying, what I'm getting at is praying without ceasing is opening every door in every situation to the presence of Christ. That's what praying without ceasing means, is, is you're always inviting Jesus to come into the mundane of your life and to come into the miserable of your life. You're saying, Jesus, I'm inviting you into this time where I'm mowing the lawn or changing the diaper. We've already talked about the mundane, but we're even inviting the presence of Jesus into our condemnation and our shame. Saying, Jesus, Jesus man, I feel like I blew it with my kids this morning. What do you have to say about that? Would you help me? What's the path forward look like? Oh, Jesus, I have so much anxiety of this situation with work. Jesus, I'm inviting your presence. What do you have to say about this? You tell me to cast my cares upon you, and, 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 and then I'll get the peace that surpasses all understanding. It looks like giving Jesus our fears, our sense of rejection, our wounds, our depression, inviting the presence of Jesus, praying without ceasing in the mundane and in the miserable, so that in all things we are keeping constant, close communion with our Savior. J.C. Ryle has this great quote. I've gone over time, and so I'll wrap up uh, with this, and then Acts 4, 23 through 31. To abide in Christ means to keep up a habit of constant, close communion with him, to be always leaning on him, resting on him, pouring out our hearts to him, and using him as our fountain of life. 
and strength as our chief companion and best friend. Our chief companion and best friend. That's Jesus' invitation to all of us in this sermon series is I want to be your best friend and your chief companion invited into every room, every season, every scene, every situation of your life. In Acts 4, 23 to 31, I'll conclude with this. I felt the Lord wanted all of us to just posture our hearts to pray this prayer. Um, we are in a very interesting moment historically for our nation, for the nations, for the church. And I think our answer is we need more of God. We need to be a people who are yielded to his spirit and want what God wants to get us out, to have us broken for the lost and to, ask, to have us have, be full of love and compassion and boldness to share the hope of Jesus with those around us, but, but knowing that we can't do it apart from the Holy Spirit. So posturing our hearts after this sermon series to say, hey, God, we're in. We want in, but we can't do it without you. We need more of your spirit. And this is what we see the early church do in Acts. We're saying, we're going for it, Lord, but we need you to come with us. We can't do anything if you don't come with us. And I want us collectively to pray this prayer. I'll read this verse and then we'll quiet our hearts and prepare for communion. But this is Acts 4. This is after Peter and John get arrested by the same uh, 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 group of folks that crucified Jesus. They know what the stakes are. The stakes have gotten infinitely higher for being a follower of Jesus in Jerusalem. And in Acts 4, they come back and the church, what do they do? They don't plan. They don't strategize. They gather and they pray. They pray and this is what happens. And when they, Peter and John, were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Now watch this, verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, man, we love you so much, God. We thank you that you are present with us by your spirit. We thank you, Jesus, for the lengths and the heights and the depths you've gone to clear out the obstacles that would ever keep us separated from you, oh, Lord. You are such a good God. You chase after all of us. The only reason all of us are here, raising our hands in worship, proclaiming salvation and forgiveness of sins and, 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 and radically transformed lives is all because you worked first. You acted first. You came running for us. You came chasing after us. You sought after us, Lord God. You brought us here. You had us in mind when you went to the cross. You are knocking on our hearts consistently every second of every day. Even when we sleep, you're there 
longing to abide, to fellowship. You gave your life just so that we could fellowship with you and you with us. What an honor, what a privilege. Who are we that you would want to invite us to your table, God? And we get to hear your voice, the God of the universe, entering into our small little lives to bring healing, to bring restoration, to bring the hope of a better world, to break in the hope of a better place, a real place that exists right now where there's no presence of demons, there's no disease, there's no more death, there's no more division, and that kingdom breaks in when you walk into the room and when your church yields to your spirit and we open the door and we say, this is your church, you bought it with your blood, we don't own it, you come in, Jesus, you have your way. Lord, grant to us boldness, O Lord, in this hour to not hide, to not be silent, but to love the world well in action, in deed, and in word. But Lord, we know that if you don't come with us, God, we can't do it. You, Holy Spirit, are in the business of salvation and regeneration, so would you come, Lord, and would you do it? Would you do what you did in the early church? Would you do it here? Would you fill us with the Holy Spirit? Would you shake us again, Lord God, with your goodness? Would you transform us by your grace and by your power and by your truth? And would you loose us into this world to, to speak of a better king and to speak of a better kingdom? He's alive. He's not dead. And his kingdom is present and his kingdom is coming. And we've tasted and seen that he's good and there's nothing better than knowing this Jesus. Let me tell you about it. And what he's done for me, he can do for you. What a king. What kind of king wants to call us friends? That's what we celebrate with communion today. The king in the universe wants to call us friends and invite us to his table to feast with us. So we love you, Lord. Thank you for all the work you've done in this sermon series, God. Thank you for the, the, the people willing to share testimonies. Thank you for what you're doing, God. And we know this, there's so much more yet to come. We love you and we bless your name. And all God's people said, amen. Well, let's respond by taking communion and then we'll sing some songs. If you need communion elements, there's some in the hallway. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he shared one last uh, Passover meal with his disciples and he broke bread and he said, this bread represents my body, which is broken for you. And uh, this uh, wine represents my blood, which will be shed for your sins. And he said, the scriptures command us to do this in remembrance of Jesus. We don't focus on the process or the symbol. We focus on the Savior and what he's done and what he's inviting us into. That, hey, you might be here today and you're saying, well, I can't be welcome to his table. Do you know what I've done? Do you know where I've been? And the gospel is this, is Jesus made it possible. All of your sins, all of your deepest regrets, all of your shame, all of your was born upon Jesus' shoulders on the cross so that, what, so that your debt of sin has been cleared and that the righteousness of God has been given to you. So, so children of God, come to the table boldly today. You belong here. Jesus made a way. It's not your righteousness. It's his righteousness. And he gave his blood so that you could come and feast with him and fellowship with him. And so as we sing this last song or two of worship, uh, continue to stay in sweet fellowship and communion with your Savior. And as you feel led, keeping your eyes on Jesus, partake of these communion elements, and then I'll close us with a benediction.